0: Hello, friends. John Eldridge here in the week of April 20th. And I am interrupting our wonderful series on responding to someone's story, how to tell your own story. It's a four-part series that we think will really enrich people's relational lives, period, but also small group experiences. But the greater thing going on in the world right now, of course, is the pandemic and the continuing saga there. And I just, it's just on my heart to come back to you from home here. I am at home, like most of you are, and just kind of go deeper into where are we now? What is God saying? What is He doing? Now, this is a follow up. Or an add-on to the earlier podcasts we've done on the pandemic, back in March, uh, there were two of them, and so really encourage you if you haven't heard those to maybe listen to those first and then tune into this. Also, Stacy and I God just put it on our hearts in the month of April to post a little video every day on Facebook, just some mothering and fathering from us, and I hope you've been enjoying those. If you haven't seen those. You might want to go back and, and binge watch a bunch of them. They're real short, but they also are real orienting to where we are now. Okay, so this will probably be, I anticipate, a two-part series this week, the week of April 20th, and then next week as well, because I think Jesus has some really, really important things to say to us, and I've been fasting, praying really pressing in a great deal to try and and just align with God and what what he's doing in this hour. And I'll I'll admit, okay, when this whole thing got started, I took a pretty passive approach towards it. You know, something to watch, mildly pray about, you know, when it was overseas, when it was smaller, but something that felt far off and I my thoughts were mostly well, we may have to weather a rough season, but you know we can all do that we can hunker down and then it became this a global pandemic that has absolutely hammered the economies of the world put millions and millions of people out of work and all but shut down the happy normal human activities of every town on the planet i mean friends are postponing all kinds of things. High school kids aren't getting their graduations. College kids uh, aren't getting their graduations. Weddings are being postponed, all, not to mention you know, the human suffering and the illness and the loss of life. This is already brutal on the human heart, and this is unprecedented. This is a big deal, a global pandemic that has all the signs of bringing really irreversible, great harm on humanity. This is something that ought to have the friends of Jesus on pretty high alert. A crisis that's closed the doors of practically every church in the world? That ought to find the friends of Jesus asking him, what is happening and what our orders are? How should we be thinking about this, Lord? How should we be praying? So it's in that context that I, I want to give some thoughts here this week and next. How should we be thinking about this, Father? How should we be praying? Now, I realize this thing changes almost daily, which makes recording on it hard to do, but let me try. And First off, I've been trying to reconcile, and, and to be honest, I've been trying really hard to help my friends reconcile two completely utterly different realities. First, the relief. There is a massive relief of the mad world finally having to cease its insane pace. Anybody who's been concerned about, felt the harm on humanity by the absolute madness and complexity of modern life is enjoying what many people are describing as a wonderful reset Families are spending more time together. People are taking walks, sometimes multiple walks a day, those who can. We slowed down in stunning ways. I mean, the world suddenly had someone hit the pause button. And the terrible demands of that world that was stuck on hyperdrive, to have those paused has been such a massive relief. Many Christians are describing it as a really good thing and maybe a possible reset going forward. And I want to say, yes, I'm loving the pause we have been forced into. I see a grace in this. Maybe it's even the furlough that the people of God needed before we head back to the front. One guy wrote to me that he and his family are living in a rhythm I feel we were meant to live in. It's simple, it's intentional, it's sustainable, but most of all, it's soulful. Okay, so you have that. But on the other hand, at the same exact moment and in the same neighborhood, there is staggering harm. They're building emergency trauma centers in France and Spain and other countries because domestic abuse is exploding. This lockdown isn't great for everyone, for a lot of kids out there. School was the bright spot. School was even the safe place from really painful things happening at home, and now they are stuck at home with no one to look out for them. No one knows what's going on behind those doors now. And so for every family who's enjoying game nights for the first time in a long time, there is a lonely single person stuck in their apartment with no one to touch them, no one to help them navigate this, no one to help them fend off the fear that is rampaging on the earth. And for every person who is finding life and even joy in the stay-at-home orders, there's someone in their town whose mental health is deteriorating daily, and right now we can't get to them. There's no question that some people are actually finding a new life in this global stop. They're rediscovering the simple things. They have more time for prayer. But we've got to remember, friends, that what we are seeing is a global pandemic of death and fear. And these are the enemy's tools right now, and he is gaining strongholds every day in tens of thousands of hearts. Okay, so just to keep those two realities before us, because I've been a little concerned that too many Christians, because they are personally, we are personally enjoying some really good things out of this, are saying, hey, this might be a really good thing for the world. And I'm not so sure about that, folks. Now, a friend of mine used a wonderful analogy. And so I want to use that here. He was talking about the airplane, the safety demonstration, you know, the oxygen mass will drop down. In the event of the loss of cabin pressure, oxygen mass will, you know, be dropped down from the cabin roof above. And you remember the drill, you know, the emphasis is always put your own mask on first before you try and help someone else. And I believe that. I believe that. I think that's important to do. And And so in the previous podcasts and on some of the live Zoom things we've been doing, we've been speaking for more than a year about these two forces that have been released on the earth by the kingdom of darkness. One of those is death, and not just rampaging physical death, but trying to bring about, quote, the end of things, and the other is hatred. And you can really see those operating now, can't you, in the pandemic, because you have the physical assault. uh, But that looks like that's being arrested pretty well worldwide right now. Now, we don't know about second and third waves of this, but the world has rallied and and some of the ominous forecasts of human suffering are not being realized, thank God. But the end of things, this spirit of death wanting to bring about the end of things, quote unquote, that has happened big time. All kinds of loss, you know, the ending of jobs, the ending of careers. The high school seniors right now are not applying for school next year because who knows? You know, the end of dreams, the the end of global economies, and how long will it take for for certain things to recover? And will certain industries even recover? I think you can see that. And then I do have a very strong sense hatred has been released on the earth as well. We've been saying that. the last more than a year and a half. But I think that's going to be the next thing, the next wave, because humanity is pretty rattled right now, pretty frayed. Not just afraid, but frayed edges, right? Running on fumes. This is brutal. Nobody's meant to be locked up. No one's meant to not have human touch, a hug, an embrace. You you need that every day. And so I think what we're going to see is hatred trying to get in through division, discord, I think the American political season coming up is going to be very acrimonious, but I think acrimony is trying to get in in a number of different ways. And so heads up to that, let's put our oxygen masks on first, okay? Bring and pray the resurrection power of Jesus Christ every day against death in your realm, against, quote, the end of things. Make no agreement with the end of things. We have found it very, very effective to... Pray the river of life that Ezekiel sees and that John reports in Revelation, the river of life that flows from God. It is his life for his people. We have found it very, very helpful to invoke the river of life every day as a shield around us and around our households, okay? And then absolutely praying love commanding that the love of God fills your home, your household, your kingdom, invoking love, enforcing love against hatred. And the reason I say enforcing is that when you have something dark coming in, it's not, "Hey, let's just all love one another." It is, "No, we have to bring this mighty power of the love of God against an evil force." So that's why we command love or enforce love against hatred. Now, you might find it wonderful to pray Psalm 91. Let me read the first couple of verses almost as a prayer right now over all of us. With his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. So Wonderful to pray that and declare that over your realm with love and with life. Uh, so that's putting our oxygen masks on. But that's actually not what this podcast is about because we've spoken a good bit about that in other places. What I, what I want to know is what I was saying at the beginning of, Father, how should we be thinking about this? How, how should we be praying? What is going on here? And, and how do the friends of Jesus respond? Now, on the one hand, our orders have never changed. The fight for the human heart has always been the central mission. Jesus says in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then of course our orders in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The world has always been at war. The human heart has always been the prize. That hasn't changed. And it's important to remind ourselves on a regular basis that when that fight is lost, people suffer a terrible harm in this life. The fears, the addictions, the mental illness, the divorces, all forms of heartache. But let's not forget that their soul enters into eternal torment when they die, right? The stakes could not be higher, the sheep and the goats, as Jesus says. Our highest priority and most central mission has always been the rescue of human hearts and lives for Jesus. Now, I I want you to hear that emphasis. I emphasize for Jesus, because simply doing humanitarian good, but never bringing that soul into relationship with Jesus, fails our mission at its most critical point. To help people solve their problems without God may, in fact, be working directly against God, because he has always meant, he was always meant to be their first love, And it is their problems that typically bring them back to that reality. Okay, more on that in a moment. Ever since the pandemic broke out, the world has been reaching for solid ground, reaching for it medically, reaching for economic stability, reaching for political stability, and reaching, of course, for social stability. How do we live in this? And what I want to point out is that it has largely evaded us. The common denominator through what we have experienced so far has been uncertainty. We don't really know what recovery will look like or when it will come. Yes, the governments, including the US, have announced the beginning of plans to kind of lift restrictions, but we don't really know how this is gonna play out. And we don't know what this world is gonna look like afterwards. We don't know about the potential, as I said, for another wave of the virus. Is this a seasonal thing? Will we see more in the fall? Or the timing and the distribution of vaccines? We don't know what the economy will really do. We don't know how it will recover, how long it will take. What I'm trying to point out right now is not debating these particular points. I just want to point out a fascinating thing. Uncertainty has been the consistent factor In all of this. Isn't that interesting? I am really intrigued about that. Okay. What is God up to with this global, ongoing, shared uncertainty? It's almost as if God has kept things veiled for his own purposes. And I want to go, okay, all right, what is it? Well, let me ask you, dear ones, what has the pandemic? The economic collapse, the uncertainty, and the shelter at home experience raised in you. What has all this exposed? We have been shaken. There's no question. What is the shaking revealing? Now, let me step back to the big picture for a moment. God created humanity for intimacy with Him, He created us to seek Him. Love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and find our life in him. Look to the Lord, Chronicle says, and his strength. Seek his face always. You, God, are my God, the psalmist says. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And that's Psalm 63 and Psalm 119. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Hebrews 11. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what we're designed for. That's where happiness, security, life, joy, that's where everything resides. But as you well know, it's not human nature to seek God, to love him with all our heart, not since the fall. And so God has to bring disruption into the world. Some of you will recall the story many years ago, I was thrown by a horse and broke both of my wrists. For months, I had both arms in casts. For almost three months, my normal was completely taken from me. Opening a door, tying my shoes, feeding myself, driving, it all vanished in a moment. I couldn't wash my hair, cut my steak, couldn't even open the refrigerator door. I I would stand at the refrigerator until Stacy came in the room and say, Honey, could you please open this? and pour me a glass of juice. It was an upheaval. I was dependent on Stacy in ways I'd never been, and the constraints I found myself living with were very, very revealing. God used it to expose my radical independence. Now, I would have told you that I was dependent on God for everything, like a good Christian should, but in fact— I was a very self-reliant, insulated, very self-determined man living from independence and calling it maturity. My accident proved to be far less about my wrists and nearly all about the condition of my soul. Any therapist will tell you this, that there is nothing like crisis to get people to look at their life and face reality in ways that they just don't when everything is good. They see how fragile their house of cards really is. As the psalmist says in 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Okay. Before, you know, when everything was groovy— I went astray, but after I was afflicted, it changed things. Before I broke my wrist, I was profoundly independent, more than a little proud of it, insensitive to those with less independence. And I am so sorry to say, doing years of damage to my marriage, my independence sent this constant message to Stacy that I don't need you. And what a horrible message to send to my dear wife. Now, God didn't throw me off that horse, but I can sure tell you he used it, and I needed him too. So friends, whatever else Jesus is up to right now, this pandemic and all of the political and economic and social upheaval is a shaking the world very much needed. And it presents to us an incredible gospel opportunity for a window of time. Now, friends, to understand what God is up to, both in our lives and in the world, we've got to remember we have enjoyed, those of us in the developed world, we have enjoyed for years an unprecedented level of comfort, convenience, and control. Now, we breathed this air for years, we drank its Kool Aid, pleasure on demand. With only the effort of a few clicks, we could order anything we wanted in the world and have it delivered to our door. We became connoisseurs of coffee, for heaven's sakes. Chocolate, cupcakes, life on our terms. That little smartphone, that little computer in our hands gave us an experience of convenience and control unimaginable to our grandparents. Seriously, when you have an economy that can support specialty stores selling only cupcakes, you have a very comfy culture. And that kind of world does not cause people to turn to God. It doesn't develop beautiful souls. It doesn't, it doesn't cultivate deep things like faith and hope and love. No, not when we are the masters of our own happiness. And so that culture needed to be rocked, knocked off its high horse, really. And Jesus teaches on this constantly. This is his worldview, okay? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man or woman who built their house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I point this out because while I believe the war for the human heart is at an all-time high, the war with evil is raging on the earth. I think the fight is worth our greatest attention. I find myself thinking more about the end of the pandemic than I'm praying for the salvation of my neighbors. Honestly, I am embarrassed how much my, when I'm looking for hope, when I'm kind of going, oh, you know, here's what I'm looking forward to. I'm thinking about summer vacation and I'm worried and praying that you know our family has a trip planned and it looks like we're going to lose it. I'm more concerned about that than how the single woman up the street is doing. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but it's human nature. We We have lived in a phenomenally comfortable culture for so long. It's really shaped us and shaped our expectations of things. Some of you might recall from Band of Brothers, the story uh, in World War II, the night of June 5th, right before D-Day, when the paratroopers dropped in behind German lines to prepare for the invasion, how one group of soldiers took refuge in a farmhouse, discovered the Calvados, the apple brandy in the cellar, and proceeded to get completely <laughs> completely hammered and missed their moment. Human nature being what it is, I think we need to be really honest about how much we've been shaped personally by the greatest level of comfort culture in the world, or we might miss our moment too. Because, for one thing, the relief many of us are experiencing in the slowdown might cause us to miss just how serious this global moment is. It's a tragic fact of human nature that a life of comfort and ease. Draws very few people to God. Okay. Jesus. In fact, Jesus taught that pleasure and ease actually numb the soul to the great realities of God and eternity. Remember the story in Luke about the man who's going to build his barns? The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty, laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And so the Old Testament is one long story of God urging, warning, pleading with peoples and nations to turn to him from their wicked ways. Read Jeremiah 2. When they don't, various forms of judgment begin to unfold. Thus, the famous line from C.S. Lewis that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, right? It's it's the therapy thing. When someone's life goes into crisis, they have an openness— to looking at things that they don't when everything's fine, right? And the current shaking that we're in presents that sort of opportunity for the gospel on a global scale. As I've wrestled over how to pray, I see again that God God has the most difficult job ever. He loves humanity. He wants his children to flourish. He needed to provide for the human race day after day, millennia after millennia, while the human race basically gives him the finger. Quoting from Psalm 104, he makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. What I'm blown away by, friends, is this daily generosity while people ignore him their entire lives and march happily to hell. Jesus said, broad is the road, right, that leads to destruction. And so at the same time, out of love, God has had to disrupt the lives of individuals and nations to the extent that they wake from their unbelieving, idolatrous slumbers. Remember, Jesus, as he approaches Jerusalem right before what we call Easter and Easter week, it says in Luke 19, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And then in Matthew, in chapter 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm just blown away by the artistry, the brilliance, the incredible restraint of God to weave this workable mix of mercy and preservation and blessing, along with wakening shakes and shocks in order to Rescue the human heart. It's enough to make me worship. What I'm trying to drive to today and this week in part one is this. Whatever else Jesus is up to right now, this pandemic and all of the political, economic, and social upheaval is a shaking, and it presents to us an incredible gospel opportunity for a window of time. People are suddenly aware how fragile life is, how fragile culture is, stability in things like jobs, healthcare, and retirement accounts. For this unique moment, millions are searching for solid ground. I'm told that Bible sales have skyrocketed. Isn't that awesome? Online churches are seeing phenomenal attendance. A friend of ours normally has a couple thousand people attend their church. And and now online, they're getting tens of thousands of people listening to them. And get this, the place on our website, the Ransomed Heart website, seeing the most action in March has been the prayer to receive Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? This is a very exciting moment so far as Jesus is concerned, and it won't last. You know, human nature, you know that as soon as people are back to their cupcakes, Netflix, and yoga classes, they'll no longer be wondering about their house of cards. I'm just, again, embarrassed. I was watching, you know, one of the press conferences describing the three-phase rollout of unlocking the country, and I was looking at some of the news reports of other nations doing that too, and, you know, the hope rose in my heart. And I'm like, John, like, really? Like, that's your big hope? So what I want to say is let's not miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, friends. The most important thing we can do, the opportunity before the church right now, is this gospel moment. It's not the reset of a slower pace of life. It's not political leadership. That's not the main thing in God's mind. It is the eternal destiny of human hearts and souls— And so what I want to recommend is this, that we pray with passion for a global revelation of Jesus. We pray for a great awakening and outpouring of the Spirit of God on the earth. And let me quickly add that this needs to begin with the people of God. For we have lived in that world of cupcakes and Netflix. We've been swept along in the pace and the distraction. We have had divided attention and compromised affection for God. Repentance begins with the house of God. We must not secretly desire a quick return to our comforts more than we yearn to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God on the earth. Come on, would a few years of genuine suffering be worth the greatest awakening the world has ever known, preceding the return of Jesus himself? Or are our hearts... Kind of divided on that, wanting at the same time our kids back to school, the gym to reopen, and our favorite sports back on TV. God is our firm foundation. Do we need to make him our foundation again? God is our hope. Do we need to fix our hope solely on him again? God is the one that has our future. Are we looking to him for our future? You see, the church needed to be shaken. We need to return to our first love with all our hearts. I'm embarrassed to admit what the events of the past five weeks have revealed in me. I find myself thinking more about getting back to my normal life than I'm thinking about a great awakening. And I'm I'm more upset about you know, losing this family trip this summer than than I am about some of the greater losses others are experiencing. So friends of Jesus, what I'm saying is, let's not miss this moment. Join me in two things, that we pray for an outpouring of the revelation of Jesus in the world. We pray for it every day. And pick three people in your world, begin to pray for them daily, that they come to know Jesus. This is the opportunity right now. Pick an aunt, a neighbor, someone from work. Make this the main thing you're doing with your shelter-at-home, period, because we know this window will not last. The world will probably recover in some ways, and people will forget about their need for God. Now, there's so much more to say. How does all this play into the larger plan of God? Kind of where are we now in the larger plan of God? I want to say more about that next time. I do want to say this. Stace and I have a very strong feeling that this is a dress rehearsal, that this is actually kind of a drill, that God in his mercy is going to let things um, ease up. But how will we be different? What lessons will we have learned from this? More on that next week. For now, let's seize the gospel moment.